Monster Stories podcast, Living with Evil. And I'm your host, Suzanne Cole. And in the background, you hear the beautiful cello of artist and friend, David Darling. Welcome back to Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil. This is your host, Suzanne Cole. This is the podcast where we speak of the experiences of being with a psychopath, a monster. We continue talks on captivity in this episode since it is core to the psychopathic mind, to the machinations of the monster. The psychology of captor and captive has been perverted by popular society to the point that most people, including professionals, have absolutely no clue what it's about. What you hear is, oh yes, you want to discuss dominance and submission, or sadism and masochism. That's the psychology you're talking about, right? These terms, these tools, the stores that sell magazines about this are all cheap commodifications of the more sinister psychology which has been around everywhere in human culture for time immemorial. Reading so many novels, the great classics, you'll see this psychology. John Fowles, The Collector, a magnificent depiction of this psychology that goes on between captor and captive. The Experiment is another film which depicts another aspect of this psychology extremely accurately, based on an actual experience that occurred, but I recommend the film because of its acuity in terms of uh, psychological understanding between the main characters. Because this isn't a seminar in psychology, I am limited in how much information to offer you to offer on this podcast in order to introduce you into the awareness of psychopathy, captivity, and the survival of such a monstrous experience that so many people have gone through. The brief recordings that I play of Dr. Mario's sickeningly self-centered words of Ersat's apology at the beginning of these episodes, some of them anyway, where he readily admits his crimes, which I've mentioned is a very typical of a psychopath. They readily admit their crimes because they are trophies. These are the rewards. They've done a good job if they've really deceived someone, if they've really damaged them. I've come across these uh, recently in some old recordings of mine, some old tape recorders that I found. They were interspersed with my own keening, the songs of grief that I sometimes play on the episodes, the way I survived along with my poetry during those 
many and miserable years of captivity. And I want to say that it is not a simple task, these intimate and tragic revelations that I offer you on the podcast. But remember, my voice is representative of many voices, many who have gone through this. I'd like to extemporize and probably in the process summarize what some of the experiences of captivity have been for me. Many of them are similar for others. Captivity is being thrown and locked in a car over and over again with a psychopath, forced to hear him rage, not anger, but blowtorch rage, higher decibels than you have ever heard for an hour or more. Excoriating, high decibel, chaotic, incoherent words, with no earplugs to dampen the sound, over and over being lured into the car while my daughter is there, only to have the locks go down and have him begin to blast this rage, often in front of my young daughter. Years of her life, she lived within this rage, within this captivity. And remember, for him and for psychopaths in general, this is a real turn-on, a real release. As you've heard in the recording at the beginning of the episode, captivity is being pushed out of the car, pushed out of a moving vehicle, onto the road, in the cold, often in the rain, usually in the dark, while Dr. Mario, while the psychopath, speeds away, often with my daughter, often in the middle of nowhere, there, rolling on the asphalt on the road, in Vermont, in New Hampshire, in New Mexico, on the pavement and injured. That's captivity. Captivity is having these varying iterations of rage occur day after day, year after year in front of my daughter. So she begins to think, to feel that it's the correct way to act. That it might be the right way to treat her mother. That somehow her mother must deserve it. And so, as she grows, she begins raging as well at her mother and at others who love her. And she is lauded for it by Dr. Mario, by the psychopath. He smiles if he finds her raging. So together, they begin to form a strangely erotic compact, both reveling in the release and excitement together of rage, an erotic collusion that is noticed by neighbors and pointed out to me while I am struggling to walk to the mailbox on crutches. Imagine that impotence in the face of that crime. How could there be intervention? Captivity is being knocked down by Dr. Mario's Volvo 
over and over again. His open door, the rapid backing up and reversal and striking of my body. The exquisite pain of having been felled on gravel, on dirt, on asphalt. Captivity is having this happen every day of my pregnancy and then being prescribed Paxil, an antidepressant, by Dr. Mario, the psychiatrist, to, quote, help with those hormones which are depressing you, Zan, unquote. And, quote, maybe they'll help with our relationship, unquote. And remember, if you ever try to leave, or if you ever attempt an abortion with that child, no one will see you again. No one will see you again, and I'll be gone. Imagine. Captivity is being given a medication by Dr. Mario that, unbeknownst to me, would stop lactation with my child, with my baby, so that he, the father, the psychopath, Dr. Mario, can interrupt one of the dearest bonds I've ever known, a refuge of love with my neonate within the chaos of this captivity. I still remember the way he yanked my daughter from my arms and began feeding her with a bottle to foster a primal bond with her, insisting, Zan, you are insufficient. You cannot nourish this child. I must do it. I had no idea why my milk was running dry. I had gotten that medication from another doctor. At the recommendation of Dr. Mario, however, one of Dr. Mario's patients. Are you beginning to see how the network of this sickness moves between people and grows? How it gets transferred from one sicko to another? How they collude with him unwittingly? It's like that movie with Denzel Washington. What's it called? Time is on my side. Yes, it is. Remember that? That eerie, weird passing on of psychopathy. Captivity is rushing to fashion crude locks on all the inner doors of the house before the psychopath, Dr. Mario, returned home so I could lock him out before he began his hours and hours of deafening, violent rage so that I could barricade myself in the bathroom or the bedroom or whichever room he was closest to when the stentorian blast began. That's one of the faces of captivity, cowering in the shower with earplugs in and still blasting me.
captivity is leaving a note in the mailbox for the postman alerting him that I needed protection from my husband, a note which finally brought a savvy detective from Portland to help me onto the island where we lived in Maine, a note which was my first breach of mutism mandated by the psychopath throughout captivity because breaching mutism meant punishments. Captivity is sitting in meditation in my own rural home in northern Mexico, miles and miles from Dr. Mario, only to be disturbed by a knock on the door where stood, literally, a squad of Mexican police, armed, surrounding my second-floor veranda door. After having climbed the side of the house and first mounted the lower stone walls of the house, they were, they said, concerned that I was a danger to myself because Dr. Mario had phoned with great concern for Suzanne. They said he was crying. It's that same sniffling concern you hear in some of those tapes I play at the beginning of the podcast. And this did not occur once or twice or thrice, but on numerous occasions, until, of course, the landlord caught on, until he caught on to who the dangerous one was. Captivity, hence, is always being in fight-or-flight mode, always being in amygdala functioning, always having a surge of adrenaline, waiting, happening, because of the perpetrator looming. Captivity is sitting finally in peace in my home in rural Vermont, working on my lectures for my university courses. After having spent two weeks at a conference in Santa Barbara with Dr. Mario, but also with my mentors, with people who served on my graduate committees, people who I rarely saw, authors and publishers. It was a two-week period where I told Dr. Mario that he must sleep in another room after having one crazed rage, as I was unable to deal with this around my mentors. After two weeks of near-autonomous scholarly interaction with others I so admire and see so infrequently, yes, I told the raging Dr. Mario that he must get out, and because there were so many people around, he did. However, all the way back to Vermont, he raged. On the plane, he raged. So I again had to tell him to stay elsewhere while I completed my lectures. While I spent peaceful time with my young daughter. And you know what? The second day, as I was sitting there concentrating on my work, a knock came to the door and I could see a tall, large officer, along with a tearful Dr. Mario. I panicked. 
I ran. I ran out the back door. I knew that psychopath had something horrible and planned in mind for me. And that officer and another one dragged me back to the garage, knocked me down, shackled me, handcuffed me, and pushed me in the squad car to take me for psychological evaluation because psychiatrist Dr. Mario had told them I was a danger to myself, or maybe a danger to him, all 250 pounds of him. I'll say more about this in the notes and in another podcast because so many of us in captivity have gone through this. But let me just say, I was fortunate to have savvy officers and also a very savvy evaluator who knew right away that, as she said, we definitely have the wrong person here. What would you like us to do? I'll offer you my response to this in my notes. Captivity is arriving in Portland, Maine in the winter for my divorce, unable to walk at the time in tremendous pain and finding out that the two buildings I'd purchased in Maine, our office and our home, had both been in foreclosure for six years, unbeknownst to me, while Dr. Mario added on new rooms to make life appear to be copacetic to the neighbors, to me, to my daughter, to everyone. I was left only with the lease to the home I'd purchased in northern rural Mexico that I didn't even want that he demanded I purchase for him. And remember, this elaborate deceit is typical of what so many of us have been through who have been held captive, who have been with psychopaths. Captivity is being catapulted in a week to rural Baja, Mexico, leaving behind what few associates I had, what few caring people I knew on the East Coast, leaving behind a home, an office, a profession, and everything in it, to live in a dwelling where countless acts of despicable violence and cruelty took place, where innumerable, disgusting, brutal acts of gaslighting, sinister dramatics, and damage to my body took place. Rural northern Mexico, where Dr. Mario had recently feigned a suicide attempt, a very elaborate dramatic involving the entire area, the whole squadron of Mexican police in the area. And while they were administering to him in the middle of the night, and this is all in front of my young daughter, he whispered to me, Now everyone will feel sorry for me, and they will know that you're crazy. They will pity me. And you know what? To this day I hear stories from the neighbors about how they don't know who to believe because he went to their door crying. This massive, rotund psychopath triangulated and gaslighted this way.
When I was shuffled into the police car for a psychological evaluation while taking time to write my lectures at home, Dr. Mario whispered in my ear, This is what happens when you don't obey. This is what happens when you don't obey. And should you ever cause me to leave this home again, the punishment will be worse. Just as he whispered to me at the fountain in the courthouse before the divorce, if you stop the proceedings now, Zan, you'll live a good life. You'll have plenty of money, but if you continue it, you'll receive nothing and you'll never survive. I have notes from him saying, you will never survive. It's your choice, he said. I'll write you my response to him at the fountain in the courthouse in my notes. Captivity is laying in my bed alone in my house on Peaks Island, Maine, after the divorce, only to wake up in the morning with his face one inch from mine. Remember Jack Nicholson again in The Shining? Well, this is decades of it. Are you beginning to shudder, my listeners? Are you shuddering for the myriad who have been in captivity and you didn't know about it? Are you shuddering for those you suspected were in a captive relationship and you turned a blind eye to? Or are you weeping because you have experienced this and you have never had anyone to talk to about it, anyone who understood about it? If this is you, I hope that these stories in some small, imperfect way offer you a sense that there are others and you're not isolated and that you will survive and you will be doing your own podcast or writing your own book and you will be dancing again. This has been your host, Suzanne Cole, on Monster Stories podcast, Living with Evil. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and for considering the heartfelt words I offer you. The beautiful music you hear on these podcasts is friend and cellist superior, David Darling. Thank you. And if you want to reach me or read the notes for this episode, please go to www.monsterstoriespodcast.com.